Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the most amazing, sensational, dramatic, heart-rending, exciting, thrilling pod in the history of college football podcasts. This is the pod is on the field. My name is Nam Lay. I am joined as usual by my partner, Scott Chong. Scotty, please take it away after our double overtime of a defeat. Hard to be mad, man. You know, it, it hurts, and yet it still it also doesn't in a way just cuz you know i'm not i'm not wanting to go down the whole moral rich angle but i'll just kind of say are you not entertained it's what we wanted out of the team this year we wanted to see competitive well coached football and we kind of knew like we, we were convincing ourselves at the beginning of the year that you know the measure of success for this year was going to have to go beyond the scoreboard beyond the wins and losses we we're going to have to just see where does this project you know is the coaching staff getting it done or the players developing and you know i heck man the one thing that if you wanted to really look at at something just different that we haven't seen in like a decade is khalil tate running all over us in the first half not running all over us in the second half even though they still moved the ball and scored and you know like they they talk about halftime adjustments and it's not like the coaches can do a ton you know, in short notice, but they can have, give guys critical talking points. And one of the things that I heard that was brought up was, all right, where are the linebackers lining up? Where were they spacing themselves? And Burke 18 had a really nice write-up on, you know, like what did the defense do differently in the second half to force the reads for Khalil Tate, the handoff, or even to just free up our linebackers, just that, like, just that subtle little six inches so that, you know, the pulling guard going to the sec level misses the linebacker. So the linebacker takes the fullback and then it leaves the slot defender free run to get the quarterback. And, you know, what I was looking at is you got guys playing above their heads. They're looking sharp. And you got to give all credit to Khalil Tate for being otherworldly. But our guys are playing faster. Our guys are playing better. Our guys are executing better. And it's just Promising as heck, considering personnel losses moving forward. You know, just what can you say? Hats off to them, but still be proud of our guys. Um, I just looked it up real quickly. Khalil Tate carries in the second half. Two yards, three yards, negative five yards, negative two yards, one yard, 11 yards, four yards. Uh, obviously, in the first half, he got loose for eight, six, 12, 76, 7, 2, 1, 16, negative one, and negative two but you know you can't tell the story of a guy like that with just his carries chart alone it's the it's what the threat of him running unlocks for their offense the kid is incredible i've already told the story on the pod here about how at a at a rivals camp you know they had to invent a special award for him because he was just so remarkable uh, i am dreading the fact that we have to go to tucson to play him next year remain unsure as to whether or not we'll have the personnel to better deal with him then. Uh, but can't really be mad. Uh, the defense hung on just long enough. You know, the fact that we only ended up allowing 31 points with essentially the same personnel last year, um, minus, you know, one Cam Bynum and probably Cam Good. Like, with the same personnel, we'd probably give 45 up in regulation. Uh, under Dyke. So, you know, you, you got to be generally happy here. 
Um, they continue to get really outstanding production out of Jordan Kanazic and Garen Brown. And again, these are two guys who are a combined Washington walk-on transfer and one junior college dude. And obviously, Cam Good is Cam Good. We all know about him. But the fact is, we're down to our backup linebackers here. Uh, Ray has moved outside, but seen less and less playing time. And so that's given way to, to having Jordan and Garen out there. And they are playing extremely well. And so hats off to the coaches uh, there, too, in both Wilcox and DeRuiter uh, playing a role at the linebacker position. Hey, Alec. What was impressive? <clears throat> you know, I, I couldn't help but kind of draw parallels to when, you know, I hate if this brings up some PTSD, but, you know, when Kaepernick ran all over us. Yep. And we had no answers for the zone read. We just didn't. And we did the same thing over and over and over again, just crash, you know, defensive end, crashing down on the back, maybe try the scrape exchange and, you know, have one of our interior defenders come out to replace the end. It didn't work. And the thing that was really, you know, cool from just a, a player development and guys getting coached upset, like we didn't just do one thing in the second half and, okay, we did that one thing different and, oh, Khalil Tate can't run. You know, like we did multiple things. Yes, we did some shading where we'd say, all right, we're going to mess with your read and we're going to force you to hand it off by keeping the guy outside. But we also did some scrape exchange where we crashed down on the back, but somebody just curled around on the outside and was ready for him. And the fact that we had two counters ready for the guy that looked well coached, you know, that's just that's hats off to the coaching staff. Because you've got, like you said, you got backups, and yet you guys you have guys Yeah, you know, they, they obviously they didn't execute as well as you want in the first half, but they got refocused in the second, repositioned. They did the job, man, and that that gives me promise. You know, looking forward, like, yeah, okay, tough playing on the road, tough going to be playing him in Tucson. He's going to be another year, scarier, better, and all that. But our guys are going to be better too, and we're getting reinforcements. And you know, like, look at the amount of time the coaches have had with this group of guys. I think that we still give him a run for his money, as terrifying as the dude is. Uh, well. On the other side of the ball, is there anything else you wanted to mention on defense first? No, not you know, like thought they played their hearts out, and you just sometimes you got to give hats off to the guy. You know, like there were times where we had the right defense called, we had guys in the right position, and we just couldn't get him. And you know, hey, that's okay. That's okay. That second, that second touchdown throw. Um, the one, the one that and uh, ended up being the winning score. Yeah, just about everything we could. You know, he wriggles his way out of the pocket, finds a dude downfield. Uh, it's part of why I've been a fan of you know running mobile quarterbacks, and he can do just enough with his arm right now um, to 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 really make that a problem. Now, some people have noticed so far that our worst defensive games have basically come against spread to run teams, and uh, a couple of theories for that. One you got to be consistently disruptive against those guys up front, uh, even more so than maybe maybe a regular passing offense because you have even less time because they're just going to read you, they're going to get the ball off, and you know, they make one guy miss and they're most likely gone. Uh, 
it's it's hard to 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 get teams like that behind the chains unless you're consistently disruptive and we don't quite have that personnel especially you know with with us losing my son last week uh two weeks ago now god time passes um <clears throat> and we will get better um one of the things that I also really liked seeing um, was the development of Ashton Davis. Again, another guy. There was one play uh, where they forced the fumble, the combined three of them, Kanazic, uh, Garen Brown, and Ashton Davis, and they overruled it. And I got really excited for a second because I really thought that was going to be one of the turning points of the game and Arizona would end up scoring on that drive and you know take a three-touchdown lead uh, heading into the half. But things looked good. There were plenty of times, you know, when a team goes up by, sorry, not goes up by, but has a almost 10 yards per play average at the half, that's usually going to end up with you losing big. And the fact that we made it a 2 OT game, you know, and we're going to transition here into the offense, obviously, but given all of that, maybe there are no such thing as moral victories but I do believe in process losses, which is how I opened my column this week, thinking about the idea of, like, you know, once we lost Devontae, this game was basically going to tip in the favor uh, of Arizona, and it did. Uh, Arizona was a minus-four favorite at the at the start, which means touchdown on neutral field. And yet we still managed to keep it pretty close, considering a pretty unfavorable game state and statistical, uh, statistical spread. So got to be happy with that. Um, I'm going to throw it over to you to start opening the offense. You know, there's a lot of things in there where you just kind of, I, you know, like obviously it was uneven as it just is. Our offense is uneven, right? It's inconsistent. It's growing. But, you know, like, heck, man, you scored on a Statue of Liberty. You scored on a pass to McMorris. You had some you know, you had some guys, different guys stepping up different times. It's it's hard again to, you go like, if you purely looked at, okay, gosh, we left plays on the field. It's what we do. You know, like you've got, you've got some young guys growing. You've got this and that. But you've got a bunch of guys that just show, they just show grit, man. You know, they, sh to see them still, like, if you had watched just kind of, play-by-play, play, like first half, drives, you know, you look at some of those things, you wouldn't believe that at the end you're like, wait, how do we end up with 44 points on the scoreboard, right? You know, like if you just kind of looked at them, you're like, how are they getting it done? And yet they keep getting it done somehow. You know, they're manufacturing. They just keep plugging away. And then, yeah, you know, like you, you could point to mistakes. You can point to, you know, interceptions were not great. And it's kind of a... That's why the saying goes, like, you know, when you're starting an inexperienced quarterback on the schedule, you know, you give up at least a game because something's going to happen in there. And that's all right. You know, it's, if you're calling it a process loss, you've got folks that, yes, they made mistakes, which led to them being down 21, and yet they made plays, which led them into double OT. And, <clears throat> you know, I know, like, People have been debating all week, oh, should he have gone for two, not gone for two? I love the decision for go to two. I don't think that was even a question. You know, that was cool. Just go for it. And one shoulder off, better throw. And we're not. We're talking about how brilliant it is. You know, if you're going to hedge over the play call, that's fine. 
thought the more interesting decision to me was kicking it on the fourth and four. Mm -hmm. You know, like that uh, one. That was that was still it's still odd to me. It just is. You know, like I, I I've been trying not to get too much caught up into it because <clears throat> you start arguing game theory with Robot Larry and Nick, and you're just gonna feel dumb. But it felt odd. I'm, I'm as much as it's like, you know what. Coach Wilcox has assembled a great staff, made great decisions, and I'm all that one. I wondered. I just still wonder a little bit about. Um, cool to give confidence to to Maddie Ice to nail that one, but you know, when you burn timeouts, you're there. Was, I I am not sure on that call. You know, like yeah, you made the kick, but that's the one where I'd have questions about and go. I don't know that that makes you know like. Some folks go by stats and percentages and game theory. Some folks go by gut. My gut was saying, you know, I think I, they, they called timeouts. They're ready for it. I think, yeah, hey, I think you go on that. Um, it's really hard for me to think that trusting a college kicker with a 52-yarder is a better percentage play than, hey, let's let's go. But it's why we know nothing. And uh, they get paid the big bucks, and they've turned the program around. So it's all good. Um, if you have an issue with them going for two, I don't know how or why. There was increasing odds, and Cal ran 96 plays. We played the underdog thing perfectly. Uh, we held the ball. We kept it safe for Ross, who still somehow only completed 50%. That's got to gotta raise a good 7 to 11% next year if we're going to be a winning team. But backtracking a little bit, um, it is patently obvious that the longer the game went, like we were playing out of our minds just to keep it as close as it was. This is not the same thing as USC, where we basically played them evenly throughout the entire game, and so you could justify any decision either way. In this case, it was the correct thing to do because, one, we're running out of bodies, we're running out of gas. Um, and we've done everything we can to exhaust them, and we're moving the ball better and better. But defensively, we didn't look anything close to stopping them. And in fact, the only reason why we even forced overtime in the first place was, you know, Khalil Tate does a, does a first-year starter move, airmails the ball out uh, for an interception when, you know, they could have been driving for the game-winning field goal. So no issues whatsoever with the go for two. Uh, with the call, I understand it. You know, they've done a lot, and they had done a lot throughout the game of just letting Ross pick his matchups because having Patrick Laird out there allows them to kind of kind of spread into empty a lot more. But uh, you know, a lot of people are like, you know, we're on the we're on the short side of the field. We have a whole from the left hash. We have a whole three quarters of the field to kind of utilize his legs, and I do think uh, he should have ran. Uh, he threw the ball too quickly, but that's a first-year starter thing. Um, I'm not going to beat my chest about kind of figuring that he would struggle with, with, with throws like that because it sucks. Uh, it's a makeable throw regardless, and you know, hopefully that's that's something that gets gets handled in, in year one to year two development for him. Uh, yeah, still well, think, yes. Well, and, you know, like maybe next year Jordan Duncan's – little bigger, a little stronger, boxes that a little better, and he hauls it in. You know, a little better catch radius. There's that, too. 
Absolutely. Yeah. You can't you can't knock young bears learning how to hunt, man. No. Um, like I think the ideal play call for me in that situation: roll him, give him something, cause a little chaos with his legs. But he chose to throw the ball a little bit early. Running lane was definitely there for everybody who, you know, for everybody who's been watching and like kind of bemoaning this over the last week. But it is what it is. You know, Ross made some money throws. Uh, we were money on third down for the first time this year. We were 13 of 19, which is really great. Uh, we've been historic, not historically, but uh, thus far this season, we've been one of the worst teams in the country in that regard. Uh, we kept the threat of the run alive. Didn't run particularly efficiently, but again, you need the threat of the run in order to uh, unlock a lot of this. And you know, Vic Wharton and Kanawai Noah came up with enough catches, and a handful of contribution from the other guys. I don't think you can really be upset, even though we didn't average that much in terms of yards per play. We did do enough to try to keep ourselves in the game with with ball control. So I'm fairly fairly happy with uh, with what what occurred on offense. Uh, you gotta be careful, man. You're gonna lose your hater tag. Uh, I mean, we didn't play great. I think a greatest out as like exceeds expectations because 5.0 yards per play. Yes, they are trying to stop us, which is what you you say most weeks. But that's still rank like that's still an output that ranks us towards the bottom of the country. So uh, 44 overall, points on the scoreboard, man. <laughs> in double overtime, 44 in double OT is like you know it is what it is. But uh, shouts out to Vic Vic and Weary didn't have a great game. Uh, I think the best we'll see of him will have been that Washington State game, which is, you know, good for him. But uh, that second effort and third very meaningful. Second second and mm -hmm. third effort, like basically cold, basically after Patrick Laird has no choice but to come out with the game on the line. Um, you know, he'll have that one too. So shouts out to Vic. Anything else you want to talk about on offense? Oh wait, sorry, I have one more thing. Um, because you had you had mentioned uh, the fourth and four call, I also thought we should have gone for it because fifty two was really pushing it for Anderson, who's been uh, pretty shaky this year, and we don't see what happens in the practices, and maybe uh, maybe we saw something special teams wise that would have given us a reason. Uh, you know, that's Ragel's call. Uh, a lot of the a lot of the coverage this week mentioned how Ragel. Uh, took this opportunity because he would have uh, relative autonomy in how to run the special teams unit. So maybe he saw something, but I honestly thought with the way we had been moving the ball in the second half that we should have gone for it to try to win the game in regulation right there. In fact, I worried that we had left too much time on the clock after the field goal anyway, and that damn near ended up being true. Yep. Uh, any closing thoughts on the offense? Oh man, my internet. Yes, Scotty's having issues with the internet. Uh, we have a very, very low budget podcast, you guys. So it looks like, yep, Scotty just flat out disconnected, which leaves me in the really awkward position of having to stall while he figures out what he's doing. All right. So, all right. Oh, you're back. You're back. Okay, nope, cool. there I'm back. No, I was going to say one thing that might have been cool really would would be like that quarterback keeper, especially if they're all going man. 
Mm-hmm. You know, but big gamble, right? Because if they're sitting in zone, you're sort of hosed. But, you know, it's very much like a variation of what you were saying. Roll out with the option to run. If you see man coverage, then just run. But anyway, hey, man, it was even so inches away from completion. And, hey, you'd like to say a little more experience under his belt. He makes the throw. Duncan makes the catch. But what can we say? Spilt milk opportunity. You can still feel good about the process, even if, you know, the scoreboard stings a little. I mean, it was almost basically the inverse of the Arizona Hill Mary game because we went down big early. We come back. I jokingly tweeted during the game, you know, the only way that there's some justice here is if we win at the last second uh, on a long throw, and we damn near did. Well, honestly, they owed us an overtime win anyway because I was at that infamous Dick Tomey multiple overtime game. And I tell you, man, it was one of the most electric crowd atmospheres I've ever been in. Like the, the crowd, the student section, we were like a giant moving mosh pit. And whichever side of the field had the ball where they were playing, we moved over in mass to give Cal a home field advantage. They did it the other way. Like Arizona even said, oh, we're going to the other goal because they saw this. We just moved all the way down to the other side, just over and over and over again. And at the end of it, Dick Tomey for Arizona went for two just because – He's like, this is ridiculous. And after that game, with all those overtimes, they put in the rule that, hey, after X number of overtimes, you've got to go for two because you just can't have people beating each other up. But I remember after that game, being just exhausted, shaking, legs you know, quivering, barely able to walk down the hill again after that. So, yeah, that was a hell of a long time ago. You were probably two. But well, I, I was thinking of that when we were overtime, like, oh, man. Karma kind of owes them one crap, crap. <laughs> I just want to point out, you can only do stuff like that if nobody's in the stadium. Uh, so those, those, those must have been some, some really lean years in terms of attendance. All right, turning our attention then over to, you know, and kind of wrapping up what is a heartbreaking but ultimately acceptable loss if we can still steal the next two games. Uh, I think it's still still too early for bowl talk. I think if we win this week, then we can start speculating as to our bowl chances because I would be stunned if this staff allowed us to lose to Oregon State. But, you know, who knows? Weird things happen, whatever. College athletes, we can just split the last two games. This season, this season arguably, for me, already is a success. It's only reaffirmed my trust uh, in the Wilcox regime. Um, well, but I understand that's a- why. Yes. That, that becomes an interesting question. I think someone had asked something similar to this. So preseason, based on what we knew of the team and our personnel, this is as good as we, we could do, right? And even if we lose every game to the end of the year, the win-loss record should call it a success. But when I look at what this team is capable of, like how they've played, it would feel like a disappointment to me, you know, if we went 0-4. Like... I would be, well, you know, like, like we said, I'm on record that we're running the table going 5-0, and but if we were going to be non-heat strokey, um, I would be disappointed if we didn't go 2-2 two and two down the stretch. I think, uh, you know, like, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Internet I mean, it's, it's, it's reasonable, right, to, to expect we go 2-2, two and two, but 
The personnel is also getting thinner and thinner every week. We have two starting receivers that really should be two number two receivers. Uh, we have, you know, like, they're getting the most out of what they can from who and what is remaining. So I feel pretty good with what's here. I think we should also obviously beat Oregon State. Um, and yes, we revise our expectations for a season, but like all I wanted to see coming out of this, and do not get me wrong, obviously I want the 15 bowl practices. Like that's going to be so huge heading into next year, but um, let alone, you know, possibility of a bowl win adding to our momentum as a program uh, to outside and further recruiting and what have you. But for me, if I'm thinking just like, with how the season has unfolded, uh, hard to feel upset with 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 what unfolds. Even if we go four and eight, I doubt we will. Um, if we miss a bowl, it is what it is. But I'm happy with what's unfolding process wise because you know I remember going one and eleven uh, in our transition year, and this is this is so far working yeah. a lot better. Yeah, you know, I guess it depends how we go four and eight. You know, like, just, it wasn't so long ago, like, we were disheartened after the Oregon loss. Because even though, you know, Oregon is Oregon, we didn't feel good. Even though, yeah, it's on the run, bad matchup. It still left a bad taste in your mouth. And that would be, like, if we go 4-8, and eight, we play our guts out, and things just don't go our way, I'm cool with it. Now, we put up more games like the Oregon game, then, yeah, 4-8 and eight is going to feel good. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. fortunately, I have an easy solution for that. You know, we're going to go to Colorado and we're going to beat them because their defense isn't remotely close to what it was last year, and their quarterback situation is a hot mess. Plus, their coach is an unethical scumbag that condones, you know, battering girlfriends. So, right is on our side, and he's got to go down. We're going to beat Oregon State because if Colorado is a hot mess, um, Oregon State is hotter and messier. Stanford's evil, so we've got to beat them. And then UCLA sucks, so we'll beat them too. So I think that'll settle any questions or concerns. It'll definitely leave a good taste if we do that. So that would be my recommendation. Uh, All that sounds good to me. But again, I know it's been record-heating, record-setting levels of hot Chinese hoax these last few weeks. So... Uh, we'll see what happens. We will see what happens. So some stats for you in case you're not reading my work over at Cal Rivals. Shout out to Trace who's watching the stream right now. Um, Colorado is mired in a quarterback controversy. They are 1-4 in four over their last five games, coming off a 28 nothing shellacking up in Pullman, uh, where they could not move the ball to save their lives. So two guys you're watching for and the thing that they'll open the broadcast with because you know even from our couches we've seen enough football to be able to project what the pregame show looks like one steven montez who is their returning starter against wazoo he was four of 13 for 21 yards he was 14 of 24 for 168 and two tds in a game they won and they've really had a hard time moving the ball with him at the helm um you can trace his stats all the way back to Washington, and he really hasn't been a statistical world beater this season. Now, one thing that they tried was giving the ball to backup Sam Neuer and later on to a walk-on as well. 
Neuer was the better quarterback in the game, completing 7 of 18 for 53 yards against the Cougars. It was windy, it was rainy, but neither of those statistics really particularly scare me. And it's not like Colorado doesn't have some skill position players. Uh, Shea Fields, a.k.a. Bryce Treg's cousin, uh, is there. They also have Bryce Bobo, and they also have... Um, you know, running back Philip Lindsay. So all those guys are good weapons, but I think the the fact that their quarterback situation is in flux and the fact that our secondary is pretty good just means we have to focus on stopping Philip Lindsay. And when it is a one-dimensional offense that we have to tee off against, I like our chances a lot more. Just like against, say, I don't know, UNC. Yeah, you stop Philip Lindsay take your chances with, you know, our corners beating their receivers and their quarterback generally being inaccurate. You know, I, I like our, I like that matchup. You know, I just do. Yes. I'd like it a lot more if, you know, I'm not, Oh wait, I'm not supposed to mention your, your son, but I do, I do respect, I do respect Philip Lindsay as, as a heck of a player. And, you know, he's, he's going to get his yards. There are, he's got to be some worry because, you know, like, did we let Arizona's backup running back run a little wild? Yes. The backups back But on up. the other hand, there. The, well, yeah. But you got to keep in mind that when we were doing it, we had the respect Tate, and that was taking one defender, you know, kind of out of your run fits. There's that. And really, what gives me hope is our guys really, really tightened up just their fundamentals of being in the right place in the second half. They just – they looked a lot sharper until they got gassed in overtime. So got to think that when you've got a, you know, like our defense actually compares pretty similarly to like what Alex Grinch likes to do, you know, in the, in the way of pressure looks, sending guys, sending guys from different areas and yet doing it with only like three or four, keeping more guys home, letting more guys, you know, like I could see us doing a lot of, you know, cover two looks where we're sitting on those easy throws and then, you know, letting guys confuse them up front and just saying, hey, all righty then. Um, the only thing with cover two is with the safeties deep. I suppose you're not loading the box against Lindsay, but, you know, I could see us doing looks where we basically just say, I don't think you're going to beat us deep. I don't think you're going to beat us, you know, one-on-one -on -one outside. We're not going to need that. So, all right, let's see if you can throw while you're getting pressure from all over the place. And, you know, it's... Like I said, that's that's a promising matchup. And then when you're looking on the other side of the ball, Colorado's not even close to what they were last year. Um, their defensive coordinator left for Oregon. Um, the aforementioned scumbag assistant is gone too. But I'm thinking here, Karma's left a huge void, both with, you know, like, hey, they their defense deserves to suck for what they kind of swept under the rug. And they lost a lot of personnel. So... If we stay balanced and Ross keeps growing, we're okay. You know, the, the thing that you'd worry about is the whole home versus road type of issue. You know, someone had asked about that. Is, is Cal really that much different to road team than a home team, or is it just who we've played? I don't know. I thought, thought we did pretty well at UNC considering early in the season. Like, you know, that that's where we started looking at that mentality, right? Bears don't scare. So... It's hard for me to say that we're going someplace that's going to be 
hostile from a crowd noise point. Now, whether the altitude plays a difference, you know, like guys talk about that trip to Denver, you know, in basketball being just rough, especially on a back-to-back. So there are things there that, you know, I just just don't know. That That's the one part I'd say overall, I like our matchups both sides. I think it's favorable, but you always worry when you've got younger team going on the road. Um, for me, it's been the fact that most of our road games so far have been against you know, the, the class of the conference, or at least teams that match up very poorly against us. We just don't have the guys that would run with Oregon uh, yet offensively or defensively. And that was one of the things that was really key for us to succeed last year and still pull out what would have been, you know, like an overtime victory. So to me, I feel good about this game. I look at it a lar- in a large sense the same way that I did last year's Oregon State game. I'm not afraid of either quarterback. I feel really good about our secondary. We're probably the best secondary that they've faced since that Washington game where they got their asses kicked. I believe that the score was somewhere in the neighborhood of 37 to 10. And the advanced metrics don't really give us that much of a chance. Uh, it's 51% with a projected margin of four points as of right now. But, and we are not projected to go to a bowl either. Uh, according according to the latest metrics. That's why math sucks and people who rely on metrics are just haters. I'm an English teacher. How could you possibly lump me in with the statistic-loving crowd? I can barely understand them myself. Uh, that being said, uh, Colorado does still have, you know, they graduated a large bunch of guys, including Akella Witherspoon and Chidobi Awuzie, but they do still have one outstanding cornerback in Isaiah Oliver, and that's going to be enough to muck things up, I feel like. Uh, at least, you know, they'll stack him probably, I'm guessing, on Vic Wharton, and that's going to mean that Kanawai Noah receives, as usual, an undue amount of pressure in the past game. How we believe that, I don't know yet. Traditionally, so far, it's been sprinkling a little bit of Reinwald, use Patrick Laird, but Laird is only effective against teams that, you know, Laird is best used against teams that have average athleticism. Against the Oregons, against the Oregons and the Washingtons of the world, he kind of tends to get swallowed up on those little quick pass plays that we love, just to dump it off and get something in space. And he's played far better than we could have hoped for, but, uh, you know, We'll we'll see how that goes, but we're gonna we're gonna need a little bit of help. I feel like with Oliver out there on the outside. Um, anything else you want to mention about the the Buffalo that we are watching for this week? Well, McIntyre likes the pistol. If you want to get all twitchy, <laughs> we'll be. I feel like feel like we'll be all right. I'm not really worried about whoever's off out there. So this should be a winnable game. I'm going on the record. I didn't think we'd win last week's game. I do think we win this one. It's a must-win game. And uh, next week we'll be bowling. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. Scotty, you want to go uh, Want to go ahead and take some, some reader questions right now? Oh, sure. Am I supposed to take these <clears throat> a little more seriously than I did when I was kind of tired last night? <laughs> <laughs> well, luckily, we answered a handful of these already naturally. So Darth D'Artagnan, uh, we already touched on those two. 
doesn't matter which quarterback it is. We're going to worry about us. Uh, wow, I am so good at the fake coach speak. We all are. But in all honesty, I'm not worried. So we're going to move on to the next question. I think it, yes. yeah, it doesn't matter. I know he was asking more about game prep, like how would we scheme against it. And I think in both cases, you know, Nair is a little more mobile. Uh, Montez is a little better thrower. But in both cases, Lindsay's the real threat. So I think we're going to scheme for both. And in the event that it's Nair instead of Montez, I, I think we come out playing for Lindsay and we'll sprinkle in a little bit of what we threw, you know, against Ole Miss, a little bit of, I would think more like that, where you've got a quarterback who can run a little. I don't think we go full Khalil Tate package on him. But we've, we've prepped for it already. You know, that's the nice thing is this defense has played against so many different types of quarterbacks. And old Cal tradition would be we're really good at making struggling quarterbacks or backup quarterback stars. But I haven't seen it out of this team yet. You know, the Wilcox coach teams, they seem ready. They seem really prepared. And they, you know, not only are they prepared ahead of it, but they look like they've always got a plan B, plan C. It's just refreshing as hell to stick. So, yeah, I, I don't think either of us are worried about their quarterbacks, nor will it affect our game prep significantly. Um, I do want to say, though, now that you mention it, we saw a lot less Malik Psalms than I thought we might see last week. Uh, you know, noted friend of the pod, Malik Psalms. Um, considering the need for speed uh, last week, but that's just... Speed you know, doesn't matter if you don't know where the hell you're supposed to be at any given moment, man. Wow. Okay. That was way harsher than I would have put it. <laughs> uh, let's hope he doesn't wag his finger at me again. All right. Terrence Lau. Good friend, Terrence. Shout out to Terrence. Who is the Bears' most draft-ready player? Uh, I feel like this is pretty obvious. Uh, I'm going with Devontae. Uh, because James Looney is a tweener, and I have doubts that he would be a high pick unless he flashes some incredible measurables uh, in Indianapolis next week, year. I can't see him being like the same level of pro as Devontae would be. That's mine. And I'm counting seniors only because otherwise it's, uh, it's going to be Demetrius. Yeah, it's kind of hard to, to argue with either of those. Um, you know, like you could be, yeah, at least we're not talking about Matt Anderson as being, you know, their most draft-worthy guy or the long snapper. Uh, uh, well, I, I do want to mention, um, so the Demetrius thing, we've spent some time on the pod, long-time listeners know we're not really happy with the way his game has developed. We were hoping for a little bit more uh, this season, and I don't think it's only Ross Bowers. I do not think it's only Ross Bowers. But apparently the injury that he got surgery for is something that he's been dealing with for a while. So maybe we see Demetrius 2.0 for his his last year. But um, the Demetrius experience has been a little underwhelming because he's most likely only staying for one more year. However, uh, when it comes to transcendent five-star athlete type guys, you know, uh, Stefan Diggs uh, can still end up being successful in the NFL. Guys, just talent, talent, and natural ability tends to find its way to the next level, regardless 
of how it's been coached because all it takes is one coach who thinks I can fix you. Um, of course, on the opposite side of that coin is a former Viking, ironically, Cordero Patterson, um, who never really evolved beyond I can run really fast in a straight line. So we'll, we'll, we'll see what, what shakes out. Obviously, all the best for him. Uh, get well soon, Demetrius, but I expect we'll see him on Sundays regardless of how he develops next season. Uh, all right. This is from former boss, uh, Twist and Hook. Which bowl do you think we go to? The Rose Bowl. You know that in order to do that, the CFP is a playoff bowl this year, so Washington has to lose at least five games, right? Twist never asks anything seriously, so he doesn't really deserve a serious answer. He's not going to listen to this. It's fine. That's true. Twist, there's no chance that Twist there, There's. Serious. He he doesn't listen to it. He doesn't. He does. He just throws stuff out of there. So, for me, like all he really wants you to do is do a ton of work or whatever thing on your own. So he gets exactly the amount of effort that he's putting into you know his question. So there it is, Rose Bowl. Twist the hell is, we care, man. We gotta we gotta run the table first. Then we'll be picking which offer we want to select. That that's a better plan than worrying about the bowl now. Too early. There's no chance in hell. Uh, he doesn't even read his own website anymore, nope. on which he is still on the masthead, and on which we are still on the masthead, despite not really writing for said website. So uh, I'm not sure it really Yeah, matters. don't tell Robot Larry I may not write basketball this year. He'll be all mad. What is, you can't do that. You're going to break his tiny little robot heart. His motherboard can't handle it. Um <laughs> Uh, well, this is just what keeps him maybe listening to the pod, you know, like now I can tease it like, oh, I made a decision with regards to writing basketball this year on the pod, but it's near the end. You know. We'll have a decision for you in two weeks, uh, as, as our president likes to say. Coming up soon. Yeah. <laughs> um, Bowl-wise, all right, I don't really care. But selfishly, I do want the bowl to be somewhere out of the Bay Area because I understand the money that comes uh, intact with the bowl bid and such. But I want the players to be excited to go to the game, and nobody's excited to go to San Diego or the Bay Area where we. Yeah, Levi's would, would, would just suck. That's what I'm saying. It's like nobody wants to go to the Holiday Bowl anyway. Like, give me Vegas, mm -hmm. man. Give give me the give me the Vegas. Vegas bowl. would be okay. Just do we have any tie-ins with? Is there a bowl over in Hawaii? There's got to be. I don't, I... There, there is no Pac-12 bowl tie-in in Hawaii. And trust me, I've spent like 15 minutes, like uh, just scanning the list, daydreaming scenarios. We got Phoenix. It's either Phoenix or Tempe. Uh, we got one for not El Paso or Plano or something like that wow. in Texas. None of you the bowl tie-ins are super sexy. They have drive-through liquor stores in Phoenix. Incredible. Uh, I know. Well. I suppose that's probably why, as arrested develop, as the arrested development quote goes, um, rather be dead in California than alive in Arizona. Uh, I suppose it's just coping mechanism. <laughs> that being said, uh, I don't really care where we're going to bowl as long as we go to it. Uh, if it's convenient or possible, I'd love to travel there. Uh, might start a GoFundMe. No, I'm just kidding. I I would never ask that of the Cal community. Uh, all right, 
adding on, we should have arranged these questions in a better order, but Otavio wants to know, uh, how many guys out of the current guys on the depth chart do you see making an NFL roster on the future? So counting starters that were on the field Saturday against Arizona. So we're just saying starters? Hmm. You know, like, I don't... I go Conaway Noah, is if I'm just starting, you know, like from outside going in. Hard to see anybody else in the receiving core. You know, like, Wharton really hasn't shown enough in the receiving game to catch on in special teams. You know, I was kind of hoping we'd see a little more wiggle out of him because he had the rep as, you know, like a special teams return guy because that's where I would have thought his niche would be, but he's been a little consistent catching it. And just, you know, he hasn't shown that thing where you go, wow, yeah, hey, that's 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 a skill that would translate over. Um, none of the O-line can you project yet. I'm bad at projecting O-line, but, you know, too soon. That's maybe about it on offense. You look at defense. As much as I love Looney, someone's going to have to really fall in love with him because I don't know that he's got the measurables. You know, like he's in the wrong, kind of the wrong fit. Now, if he can do something like Lorenzo Alexander did and maybe transition positions and somebody really, really likes him, you know, there's there's that. Um, you know, you go to linebackers and you want to get really, really thinking ahead. Uh, Cam Good's pretty damn impressive. Cam is going to the NFL. Mm -hmm. Well, all the Cams. Cam, Cam Good, Cam Bynum, you know, like that. Those, those are the guys where – they instantly pop. And then you've got guys, you know, kind of in the depth chart where you'd say could be with, with development, right? You know, like, you know, a lot of the secondaries is impressive because they're so they're so darn young. You know, like the young guys are really showing out. But um, that's yeah, awesome. gosh. That would honestly be it for me, too. I'd say, like, four. Uh, Elijah... Looked good, hasn't been on the field enough to, or stood out enough to really merit that kind of projection just yet. Because yeah. um, what's tough, what's tough also is, you know, we fall in love with our guys, and sometimes, you know, our guys play a little bit out of their minds. That I think the coaches help with that. But then what's brutal is, you know, they go, they go to the combine, they get measured, and you know, they get, they get taken down a peg. You know, like some of the best cornerbacks we've ever seen. You know, wearing cow uniform. Like you remember Sikwan Thompson? I do. Know dominant, Saquon dominant, Thompson. dominant, dominant. Great, great, great cow college player, and yet didn't have the measurables to stick. Just didn't. And you know, like there are a lot of guys like that. We'd say, "Wow, he really produced." And yet, when you start going into that next level, crazy athlete, you know, I remember years ago, like you were saying, how sometimes. It's just the athletes that find their way on because someone thinks I can coach you up. You know, like we had a Cal safety. He was never in the right position ever. And then at the combine, he ran something crazy like a 4-3-40 barefoot because he forgot his shoes. Now, the fact that he forgot his shoes going to the combine tells you all you need to know about this player and where he knew to be here and there. But he got drafted. He was playing on a pro team because he was damn fast. You know, so tough. Tough to love our guys, love the development, and yet to be just brutally brutal. NFL's mean. You know, they're looking for just that different cat. Um, 
I think we might have had one more question, and I'm talking out loud as I look for it. Possibly not. Um, and so as we're doing that, do you want to start out with your shout out? Yeah. Okay. You know, like this actually, week. Oh, that's that's actually it. That's it for the question. Well, that was it. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, so my shout out this week goes out to my. I'll go with my uncle Ken and my aunt Carol. Yeah. Oh the reason God. why is this. Yes. Yeah, see, you should have gone first, because you're not going to... Imagine the nicest guy you know marrying the nicest lady you know, and, and like, they marry each other. So they're, they're, like, the most ridiculously nice, thoughtful couple ever. You know, they're taking care of my Uncle Ken's mom. You know, that's my, my Aunt Esther, who's 102, who brought us good luck for the Washington State win. She's all decked out with her cow sheets, playing all, everything. And, you know, my uncle wore my dad's polo to the game. I found out after, so, you know, I was I was very touched by that. But this last weekend, my mom passed out at a, at a afternoon party. Passed out, just, she's okay. It turned out to be kind of combination, low blood sugar, a little heat, little dehydration. But my aunt and uncle were there. They made sure they got the ambulance called. They went with her to the hospital. They got her car home. They got all their possessions set. They contacted all of us. And then we darn near had to kick them out where they they would have just been there. They would have stayed there as long as it takes. And this is with them really having to, you know, also take care of, you know, like Ken's mom at home. And, you know, it's just, it's little things like that where you just realize, you know, you're just darn lucky to have family. You're darn lucky to have people like that in your life where you just absolutely can count on. And, you know, no one, I, I'm allowed to selfishly use the pod and just say, hey, people like that deserve a shout out. So I'm giving them a shout out. Um, before we before we get into the shout outs, uh, my shout out this week, I want to tell a quick story because it's at the end of the pod and there's almost no chance this will ever be heard. But uh, it's no secret that I have open social media. And I guess my students have been doing a much more active job of searching me out this year. And I'm not really afraid of anything I put out there, although I've taken a couple of more explicit precautions when it comes to certain things that I talk about. Uh, but some of them were like, yeah, we found your YouTube channel. I'm like, okay, uh, there's nothing on there except these video pods, um, a video of me playing Overwatch, and some weird stuff that I recorded when I was in college. Everything else is unlisted. And they're like, yeah, you have a, you, you just talk about football, and you have a partner named Scott. I'm like, yes. Do you expect me to be embarrassed by that? I'm like, you know, some of these kids are like, I just find that to be really, really funny. Um, like, I'm not allowed to be a person where I should be ashamed of the fact that I am a human being outside of class. Uh, so if any of my students make it this far, I don't care. Uh, first of all, that would be more attention than you've paid sometimes in some of my classes. So if you do make it this far, congratulations. Uh, if you come up and tell me you're Huckleberry, I'll give you five points of extra credit. Oh, hey, hey, students, you should go back to the old pods, see how many movie references, book references, all sorts of references that he just whiffs on. It'll be awesome. And then what you should do is you just bring them up in class, kind of subtle-like. I'll give you 100 points a crack, you know, for that. They're even less likely to get some of that stuff than I am. But oh, you don't know, man. Your, your kids are smart. See, guys, he's selling you short. I believe in you. Uh, well, just in case anyone ever find this, but 
honestly, like my my philosophy is like, I'm not ashamed to be a person. If you, I'm not ashamed of any of the things that I generally put out there on the internet. Um, so I'm good. I've grown grown up with digital privacy and been aware of myself as a public figure. Oh my God, I can't believe I just said that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, all right, so that was just a quick story to tell at the end of the pod. Uh, I guess my shout out for this week, in a week that wasn't satisfying, I mean, I guess now it's also Wednesday, so some of the glory of that has, has like worn off, but I'm gonna go with Ken Wainoa. And, you know, this is not just because he's my receipt guy. Uh, turned right away. It, it is in part, you know, I got to give myself some shine at times. But Kanawai Noah, uh, the offense looks totally different when Kanawai Noah is in there in the sense that we actually have one. The offense moves from totally, totally unworkable to we have the occasional play where we just throw it up to him and he makes an insane catch. Uh, shades of Keenan Allen, uh, Keenan Allen Light, a few years ago. So, Kanawai, when you are fully healthy and back, uh, don't peg you as an immediate NFL risk. Hopefully, so we will get a fourth year of you. But uh, great work this season. Really loved having you. Gonna love having you next year. Um, yeah, can you imagine when his when his knee's healthy? Yeah, that's Takes that's. A year. Uh, that's the goal. That's the plan. Um, all right. Do you have any other closing thoughts? No, not not really. You know, it's, can't can't really. At least I'm proud of you for getting the Huckleberry quote. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's go ahead and close this baby out, ladies and gentlemen. This has been the pod is on the field. My name is Nam Lay. I was joined this week as usual by my partner Scott Chong. Thank you, and go Bears. Go Bears. All right.